All right. I want to bring in uh, Jane Kirtley, professor of media ethics and law at the University of Minnesota, and CNN contributor John Dean, former Nixon White House counsel. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, John, we just talked about Meadows. If he is cooperating, can you give us a sense of the significance of how important his testimony might be? It would be uh, as important as mine was during Watergate. It would be actually more important because he was at the scene of so many of the activities that occurred that are now causing Trump uh, the problems he's got. <clears throat> he would be a remarkable star witness if he's cooperating. And he's got an attorney who could guide him that way. I don't know if he'd make do a plea deal or how he'd work it out, but he'd be a powerful witness and Trump would be in deep problems. That was a, a really um, significant thing that you just said, that it would be as big as you testifying um, back in the days of President Nixon. Uh, I do want to get, John, your take on, on something else um, that Trump's attorney said over the weekend. Uh, let's go ahead and, and, and listen to that. Would you be open to having cameras in the courtroom during this trial? I personally want the public to see what's going on in this country right now. I want the public to see what kind of prosecution is going so, on. So, yes. And I want the public to see the evidence. If you ask me what my personal opinion is, the answer is absolutely, I'd like to see that. What, what I'm concerned about is the government has already signaled that they don't want the press and the American people to see the evidence in this case because they filed a, an emergency okay. protective order to prevent that from happening. Cameras haven't been allowed in the federal court since 1946. Should they be in this case in particular? Is that to me? Yes. I think they should be. I've long thought they should be. I've watched it happen at the state level. It's been quite successful on, in, a, in a number of states. It, there's a theater aspect to it, but there's also an educational aspect to it. In Watergate, people began to learn what was happening when the Senate hearings occurred. That's when they got an education. That's what will happen here. Uh, it won't be just sound bites are being taken, uh, as they, some apparently fear is the reason not to have it. Uh, a few academics don't like it, and uh, they have studied it and don't find it as effective as uh, those of us who don't study it think so. But I think it, it makes the courts open. It gives us the impression that we know what's going on, and I do think we learn from them. Jane, I know uh, I was in your state, in Minnesota, when the judge in the Derek Chauvin case um, in the murder of George Floyd broke with the, the long-standing court rules in your state of Minnesota and did decide that it was imperative that cameras belonged in the courtroom from gavel to gavel, something that Minnesota had never done before. Um, what would be the best argument for allowing cameras in the court in a federal case? Well, I think in any case, any high-profile criminal case like this, first of all, pedantic answers to say we have a First Amendment right to be there. The public does. It's not practical for most people to attend the trial. And as a Supreme Court justice once said, we don't demand infallibility from our institutions, but it's unrealistic to expect us to have confidence in them if we cannot see what is being done. What the Chauvin trial proved was you can have a high-profile controversial case, you can set up rules, you can have a judge who is clear about what conduct will be permitted and what will not be, and it goes forward. And 
I think it's fair to say that the public confidence in the verdict in the Chauvin case was enhanced immeasurably by the fact that we got to watch the whole thing and not have to rely on secondary spin about what was going on in that courtroom. Um, I, I would have to agree with you, just having been there and having watched people see how it unfolded, um, people, including, um, you know, the defense attorneys thought that the, the case was at least fair. I do want to uh, talk to you, though, about Donald Trump himself, because he is known um, to say wild things, to uh, make faces uh, and the like. Um, he, he likes the camera. That's no secret. Um, would it be a disruption, do you think, in a case like this? Yes, Jane. Well, here's the thing. Judges have inherent authority to control their courtroom. They, they don't like to give up control, and I think that's one of the reasons they really don't like cameras in the courtroom. It's going to be up to the presiding judge in all of Donald Trump's trials to make it clear that that kind of conduct is not going to be permitted, not from him, not from any of the attorneys, not from anybody in that courtroom. It'll be an interesting thing to see because, of course, in a normal trial, the judge would not hesitate to impose a contempt order on a, somebody who didn't obey. It'll be interesting to see what happens here, but truly, I believe that if the judge maintains control in the courtroom, Donald Trump's going to have to learn that he simply cannot act like that. As you know, in the Chauvin trial, uh, partly because of COVID, one of the ways that our presiding judge Cahill dealt with this was by having very strict uh, restrictions on where people could physically be in the courtroom. They were behind plexiglass. They had to stand behind a podium. Uh, you know, posturing, running around wasn't permitted. I'm not saying that would necessarily be a good idea here, but it would be one option the judge could consider. Yeah, there was only one or two chairs for each of the family members and only one person from the media also that could be in there uh, as somebody from the pool. So it did really restrict who could be in the court. Uh, and it was it went very smoothly. Judge Cahill was very strict uh, with everyone. Thank you both, John Dean uh, and Jane. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you.